With the power of Tandem HR, you are in the fast lane on Main Street with Get Down to Business with Shalom Klein, the show for business and jobs. Now, the champion of networking, the advocate of jobs, the guru of business, your host, Shalom Klein. I, I grew up with a old saying in my house, uh, which I don't repeat often, uh, but I, I think it holds true. Uh, the, the saying in, is that man thinks and God laughs. And uh, in business, that's certainly true. You could plan all you want, but sometimes you just have to jump into the reality of things. Uh, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And uh, that's where you can find out also about a lot of great events that are coming up. Uh, get on my website. Let me know what you think of the show. This week, we've got a great lineup of guests. First and foremost, we have a uh, fantastic guest. We have Norman Anderson, uh, commercial drones, th- 3D printing, self-driving vehicles, and the internet uh, of things are reimagining the North American infrastructure market and propelling it towards a tipping point. Uh, Norman Anderson, thank you for joining us on Get Down to Business to talk about some of these issues. I'm happy to be here. Shalom. So, are uh, our, our commercial drones, 3D printing, self-driving vehicles, all of those things, is that something from back to the future, uh, something looking at uh, 20, 30 years from now, or is it already here? I think the, it's already here, and it already it makes sense to, to start thinking about um, how to take advantage of the opportunities. For instance, uh, in terms of 3D printing, a lot of job sites, major infrastructure job sites, construction sites, they don't have inventory on site anymore. They simply have a 3D printer that prints out what they need. It's it's fantastic. Well, as the president of the nation's preeminent infrastructure advi- advisory firm, uh, you would know the answer to this question. These are all areas that I think are going to start to revolutionize how we think and how we do business. But in dollars and cents, what are we talking about for the market? What are all of these things going to do for spending and for, and for businesses that are getting into these industries? It's really it's a super good question. You know, you've got the issue of, we're $3 trillion behind in terms of uh, the infrastructure we need uh, to build. Um, so that's about the, the theoretical size of the market. Our country spends somewhere south of $200 billion a year in infrastructure. It should be uh, well over a trillion dollars, and we think it's going to be well over a trillion dollars by 2020. Uh, that's infrastructure in general, and 40% of that goes to small and medium-sized businesses. So it's a huge market for um, small and medium-sized business guys. That is huge. So uh, most of our listeners are here in Chicago, uh, aside for those of you downloading podcasts on my website at shalomkline.com. But uh, Norman, what is your impression of the Chicago market in terms of how we are adapting to new technology and new developments in the industries? Well, my, you know, my impression is that the U.S. in general is unbelievably slow at adapting uh, new technologies. I'll give you an example. I've got a friend, CEO of a Fortune 150 company. Uh, He does all his drone uh, R&D in Brazil, and he uses all his drones uh, for doing operations and maintenance, analysis, assessment, et cetera, of his facilities outside of the country because the rules in the U.S. are simply prohibitive, take too much time, 
too expensive. So we've got, you know, rules uh, governing our, our infrastructure, our legacy infrastructure, that absolutely uh, militates against the kind of innovation that we so dramatically uh, need. So uh, we have uh, huge regulation. Um, I don't think that will come as a surprise to any of our listeners. Is the United States government, for let's take self-driving vehicles as an example, is the Department of Transportation uh, moving along fast enough with the development of this technology in order to get it into the real world? No, I mean, I don't think so. And, and, I, and I don't want to be unfair because I just left a meeting where we talked about um, that issue, and everybody's doing uh, as, as well as they can. But, you know, we've got a systemic problem. Just to give you a, a scary example uh, from my world, it takes on average nine and a half years to get a project permitted, to get a, an infrastructure, a new infrastructure project through the permitting process. Think about that. Apple's launching a new iPhone every year. And we've got, uh, and, and, and it takes nine and a half years. So, so you're using technology that's 10 generations old. Because in the middle of an approval process, you're not going to say, oh, let's stop the process because we found something new. Because then you go back to zero again. Of course. So you've got some, you've, you've got some we, we have to change the way we think. Dramatically, we have to change the way we think about infrastructure simply because of the, the incredible pace of the technology revolution. That's for sure. So, so far, we've talked a lot about the dollars and cents. We've talked about a lot about the business behind it, including the fascinating statistic that so much of the of the areas that we talked about, the drones, the self-driving vehicles, the 3D printing, is going to be involving small business. What about jobs? What sort of impact will this have on, on employment in the United States? So we've got, you know, we've, we look at that as the absolutely critical issue because infrastructure... Um, we need to at least double our level of infrastructure investment, and then we need to double again the productivity of that investment. We're not, we, we don't invest enough, but we don't invest in the right projects, and we don't invest efficiently enough. You know, if you looked at um, what we're talking about in terms of increasing, uh, increasing our investment, increasing the quality of that investment, looking at uh, getting back to a point where infrastructure drives our competitiveness drives our national prosperity, drives our average household income. I mean, you're talking about jobs in the 10 to 12 million million range, and you're actually talking about really well-paying jobs as well. You're not talking about uh, jobs at McDonald's. You're talking about jobs in the trades and in uh, technology. So jobs let's talk about the education that will feed yeah. those jobs. Is this something that, that, that there will be a highly specialized degree for, or is this something that hopefully can be implemented in some of the community colleges as well? I think, I think both, right? But I think, you know, and I don't actually think there's a big distinction between specialized degree versus the community colleges. I think community colleges really need to up their game. Agreed. So they become, yeah, so they become much more like technical schools where you go there night, weekends, whatever, and you leave and all of a sudden you're capacitated to do these kinds of jobs. Well, that's important. Uh, community colleges do need to adapt. And if this is the way 
uh, infrastructures changing over the coming years, or it's already changing as we speak, uh, then then colleges, at big and small, need to adapt quickly to make sure they are educating the workforce of tomorrow. So, what is what is next on the horizon? What can our listeners sort of look out for over the coming weeks and months? Are there any big things happening? Any big announcements, either regulatory or or uh, or industry? Well, let me give you an example, because most of the stuff that we talk about, obviously, is invisible, right? Right. You don't see it. You've got to somehow take all the signals from the environment. Think about the Internet of Things, right? Nobody has any idea what that could possibly mean. But you're talking about as many as 20 billion sensors being on infrastructure, projects, bridges, highways, etc., by 2025. And then somehow you've got to figure out how to integrate all the data that comes from those sensors into something that allows you to do it. Think about the jobs that are going to created by the people who uh, build sensors, make sensors, do the R&D behind sensors, put sensors on bridges, and then figure out how to do the software that makes sense of all that information. You know, that's, that's one of the things that's not um, coming down the pike in, a, in, a, in, in terms of an announcement. That's already happening. That's like a freight train coming right at <laughs> people who are looking at jobs. Well, that's big for jobs, big for small business, and that's what our listeners care about on this program. So, Norman Anderson, uh, really fascinating information. We'll be sure to check back with you regularly uh, to uh, to keep abreast of the of the ongoing developments. But in the meantime, uh, tell us how people can learn more and uh, get in touch with your team. Sure. So, our website is www.cg-la.com. But every year we identify the top 100 infrastructure projects in the U.S. and we hold an event, the North American Leadership Forum. It's uh, October 26th to 28th here in uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, love to have people participate. You find all the information on uh, the Leadership Forum at our site and we'll have a lot of uh, people who are presenting jobs, $376 billion worth of investment opportunities will be presented. Well, that's big. Uh, Businesses need to be innovative, and uh, to be innovative, uh, we're turning to Norman Anderson. One more time for the website, for the the list that you produce, as well as the the upcoming events. Sure. Thank you very much, Shalom. It's www.cg-la.com. Well, thanks, Norman, for joining us on Get Down to Business. Get Down to Business is powered by Tandem HR, your solution center. You can find them at tandemhr.com or call 630- 9280510. You can also email them simplify at tandemhr.com. Coming up, we're going to check in with executive business coach at award winning Vistage Chair Dick Smith for the Playmaker Spotlight. Don't touch that dial. We've got a lot more tips, advice, and information for all of you small business owners out there. You're listening to the show that's all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business. It's time for the Playmaker Spotlight with executive coach and Vistage chair, Dick Smith. Well, welcome again to the Playmaker Spotlight, the part of Get Down to Business, where we speak to CEOs, COOs, and uh, business owners of various sorts, and they share their stories and best practices with us. Playmakers is brought to you in part by Vistage, the world's largest CEO advisory board organization, and I am your host, Dick Smith. I'm the CEO business coach, and I'm an award-winning chair for Vistage International. I'm thrilled to have as our guest tonight, Joe Lundvik. He's a partner and the COO of Perfection Global Incorporated, headquartered in Oak Grove Village, Illinois. And I'm going to read from their website. 
Perfection Machinery Sales is a used machinery dealer in Illinois. They've been buying, selling, and remarketing used assets since 1963. Over 52 years, it looks like. Perfection operations are separated into four distinct but interwoven business units. Uh, Perfection Machinery Sales, Perfection Industrial Sales, Perfection Investment Recovery and Surplus Asset Management, and Perfection Financial Solutions. Pulling from their strengths of each of these three business units, these business units, excuse me, four of them, they're able to create tailored, flexible, and proven solutions for projects big and small from the purchase of a few surplus assets from, say, a two-man job shop, all the way to the sale of an entire division of a Fortune 100 manufacturer. So Joe, partner and CEO of Perfection Global Incorporated, the guru of industrial machinery sales, assets management, and financial solutions. Welcome to Playmakers, Joe. Thank you very much, Dick. Thanks for having me. Good. I hope you liked my introduction. Very much so. You covered it all. <laughs> Good. So, Joe, give us the CNN version of uh, Perfection's story. How did the firm get started? How did you get involved? Sure. Uh, used equipment legend Sidney Lieberstein shortly after the Second World War. Um, a lot of guys out of New York started selling off the Army surplus. Ah. Really the founding of the used equipment business in the United States. And Sidney Lieberstein, our founder, was one of the original guys that started it. Uh, my current partner, Pat Angus, started with Sidney more years ago than he probably cares to admit and mm-hmm. has grown the business into one of the largest used equipment dealers in the world. And the other two partners are myself and Adam Stevenson came on in 2007. Mm-hmm. So uh, how many employees do you have in offices? Where do you guys operate? We've got 35 employees worldwide. The great majority of those are based here in Elk Grove Village in our mm-hmm. headquarters. Um, but we do business on, you know, at least six continents. Wow. And, you know, numerous countries throughout the world. But the great majority of our employees are here in our headquarters in Elk Grove Village. So, typical customer, how do you get involved? They, they've got equipment that's a little dated. Perhaps they want more state-of-the-art, and they have used stuff they either want to get rid of or sure. trade in or something of that sort, right? Sure. Um, it runs the gamut. Uh, we've got small, as you mentioned, two-man job shops that might want to get rid of an old shear that they've used and are getting something later model, all the way up to multi-million dollar Fortune 100 manufacturers that are selling you know, we've got an automotive engine line that we'd like to trade out. We're changing it from four-cylinder to six-cylinder. They'll bring us in, and we will sell off that outdated or that slightly older engine line, be it, you know, a million dollars all the way up to $30 million. So there are other companies in the industrial machinery sales and asset management uh, space, obviously. How do you guys differentiate yourself from your competitors? Why would I come to you to sell my used uh, stuff? Sure. Um, the biggest differentiator for us is that we do everything under one roof. There's our, you know, there are appraisal firms in our world. There's auction firms in our world. There's used equipment dealers. There's asset management firms. And there's asset-based lenders. But there is nobody that does all of that in one company. And Perfection Global does everything from that. If you need a bench grinder appraised and it turns out it's worth $400 all the way up to you can imagine GM calling us and saying, we'd like to liquidate one of our facilities in Detroit. We can handle that range of services for that range of clients. Mm-hmm. So tell me, how does the fluctuation in the economy? I mean, one day you're reading that you know, manufacturing is up, the next day it's down, and it's quarterly up, down, swings. Uh, what does that have to do with affecting asset sales? 
Um, certainly goes in line with it. We are used equipment sales for the most part, and typically when things are really good, your large manufacturers are buying new equipment. Mm-hmm. Your smaller than and mid-sized manufacturers aren't able to afford the new equipment because the new equipment's going for top dollar to the big manufacturers. We fill that role where in good times, the bigger manufacturers are buying from us used because you know maybe they don't want to pay top dollar for new in bad times, you can imagine that nobody's buying equipment, especially new equipment that tends to be quite a bit more pricey. They'll buy the used equipment. The piece that I'm selling used for $50,000 can make the exact same part as that brand new machine that's being sold for a quarter of a million dollars, mm-hmm. but it might do it one or two seconds slower per job part. Right. And if you don't, if those two seconds aren't a big deal, obviously... You're way ahead of the game to buy a used piece. Gotcha. Well, hey, if you're just tuning in, this is the Get Down to Business Playmaker Spotlight, and it's brought to you again by Vistage International, the world's largest CEO and business owner advisory board organization. And we're talking to Joe Lundvik, partner and COO of Perfection Global. So uh, tell me, what's your take on manufacturing? Give me the macro view uh, as well as the Illinois micro view. Where are we going in manufacturing? Um, I'm only one person, but I tend to be very positive, and I guess the positive news tends to strike me more than the negative news. Uh, People talk about manufacturing dying in the United States. I don't know that I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I I compare it to an article I read years ago where back in the day, a farmer needed 40 people to bring in that crop. Today, that same farmer needs one really good machine and maybe Mm. two people to bring in that crop. So are we talking about robotics then in the U.S., replacing hard labor? Robotics, better technology, better Mm. automation. You know, it might have taken 40 people to make that part 10, 15 years ago. Today, it takes two people with a good list of machines and some robots. Um, The kid that's learning video games and is good at programming, he's running our manufacturing machines now. Obviously, love the older gentlemen that were good with their hands and can dial in the perfect uh, tolerances. But today, it's the kid that knows how to program that computer to make that part in two minutes versus the three minutes somebody else was making it in. And one of the jobs your industry has is to attract young people into manufacturing, isn't it, Joe? What what challenges do you have there? Do they still see it as a dirty business with their nails getting dirty, or are they coming along to yeah, see the new they, future? They certainly do. Um, you, you, know, you obviously read the same articles I'm reading where people still think of it as a dirty business. The computer world, uh, the internet age, all of the animation that's available, we are making leaps and bounds where people are saying, wait a minute, you're telling me I could make actual things instead of just on my computer with a CAD cam? I could really turn this computer program into an actual car? Um, Just recently in one of our bigger trade shows, the Precision Metal Forming Association, they brought the world's first 3D printed car. (laughs) Stuff like that certainly opens people's eyes and gets people interested they are now 3D printing cars that actually drive. It's unbelievable. It unbelievable. truly is. So uh, that, that's eliminating all the die where you got to create the die, spend all the money, put it in, and if it doesn't work, you got to go back to the drawing board. The 3D printer... Uh, uh, it, it has that potential. I wouldn't say it's eliminating it all, but it, it, you know, that was done as a sort of a theatrical, hey, look what can be done. Mm-hmm. And it certainly opened a lot of people's eyes. Guys are really getting into it. So robotics, 3D printing, what other changes are you facing in your industry with the used equipment sale and technology? 
Well, we, we go with what's whatever people want. Uh, the beauty of used equipment is I, if somebody calls me and says they love Mori Seiki, which is a very large, well-known brand, mm-hmm. I don't need to fight them and say, no, you really want a Haas, which is also a good brand. Mm-hmm. You tell me what you want, I'll go find it for you. Um, typically, people aren't bringing us their blueprints and saying, tell me how to make this. Typically, they're calling us saying, you know, I'd like a Morisaki SH6000 with Boxways. What do you have? Mm-hmm. I go find them that machine. So our, our world is staying in touch with our manufacturing clients. Whatever they want is what we go find for them. Mm-hmm. I, as much as we're in the machinery business, we're more so in the information business. You tell me what you want, I go find it for you. You tell me what you have to sell. I let you know how it can sell for the most. And are you using social media for that? Do you have newsletters and blogging and all that stuff, or is that still too difficult for the manufacturing community to embrace? Um, (laughs) A little bit of both. We certainly, you know, we are Facebook, we are LinkedIn, we are Twitter, we are Instagram. Um, All of that, what it really does for us, helps us when we're selling equipment for our clients. We're trying to make sure that any piece you give us to sell for you gets in those top five organic results on Google. Got it. Um, and by being on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Google looks at us and says, hey, these guys are connected. They're putting up pertinent information every day on their social media. They must be the experts in that equipment. Gotcha. Well, I'm afraid we're just out about a time. I hate to cut you off, Joe, but uh, we're, we're there. This is Joe Lundvig, uh, partner and CEO at Perfection Global. Thanks for being with us today. And their website, www.perfectionmachinery.com. Whether you're looking to sell your equipment, uh, uh, have it uh, appraised, you, you contact Joe there. I'm Dick Smith. I'm the chair for Vistage International, and you can reach me at dick.smith at vistagechair.com. And now back to more of Get Down to Business with Shalom Klein. Hey, I'm excited, and it doesn't, and not a lot of things get me as excited as I am right now for something that's coming up in just a few weeks at the United Center. My wife and I like going to fun and exciting events, especially when it is involved with community. And as a business professional, I like taking some of my colleagues to great events at the United Center occasionally. That's why I have your pause from the Maccabea Tel Aviv team uh, with me on Get Down to Business. Uh, Yaron, welcome to the program. Uh, hi, hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. So uh, tell us what is coming up at the United Center. You know, you mentioned the community, and I think it's, you know, it's first of all, it's just a great top-level basketball game uh, between Maccabi Tel Aviv and Armani Milano from Italy. So we're talking about two uh, teams from the EuroLeague, and if people don't, don't realize it, the EuroLeague is the second-best basketball league in the world, and Maccabi Tel Aviv is probably one of the biggest not probably. It is one of the biggest basketball brands in the world outside the NBA with six European championships. Um, so we're talking about basketball that has the best uh, uh, of college players who did not make it to the NBA. Some ex-NBA players, for example, we have Jordan Farmar, who won you know, two-time NBA champion with the Lakers um, and uh, who also happens to be Jewish. So there's a, a good connection there. Sure. Uh, and then we have a couple of Big Ten players like Trevor Mbakwe from Minnesota and Brian Randall from Illinois. And the Milan team have, I mean, they have Gentile, who is uh, his draft writer by the Rockets, and Robbie Hummel, who many in the, in the Chicago area know because he starred in Purdue. So you're on, uh, first and foremost, this will be a fantastic basketball game. And again, what is the date? Uh, October 1st, uh, 7 p.m., United Center. 
It's right around and, the corner uh, at the United yeah. Center, which is uh, which is great. So uh, it will be a fun evening. Uh, and uh, Aaron, uh, I don't recall the last time that something like this has happened in Chicago. Uh, refresh my memory. Has it ever happened? You're totally right with this question. It never happened that two European basketball teams faced off each other uh, on American soil. So that's a first. And then with Chicago... Somehow, with Maccabi in, in its history, has played 22 games versus NBA teams, but somehow, somehow never played the Bulls. So it's the first time that Maccabi Tel Aviv is coming to, to the city of Chicago, which is a, a great you know, basketball city, and, uh, and the first time the two European teams are playing one another. Wow, that's exciting. Major, major, major stuff uh, happening in Chicago. So tickets are available, and of course, we'll be sure to share uh, the website and, and information so our listeners can buy tickets to the game. But uh, how often does something like this happen at the United Center with the big jumbotron in the middle and lots of opportunities for exposure to what will uh, surely be thousands and thousands of people in the audience? So uh, you're on for our business owners that are listening and organizations that are listening to this program. What opportunities are out there for them to get their message out? Yeah, I mean, uh, just think of, of, of what you started with. And, and in terms of the community, uh, if you're talking about the Jewish community, the, the, the pro-Israel, the Italians community, which is a big community uh, uh, in Chicago, that's where I think it's, it's, gonna be, it's going to be a, a pro-Israel, support-Israel type of event. Uh, just like judging from last year when we played uh, the, the Cavs in Cleveland or the Nets in Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn hosted us at Barclays Center, and we had more Maccabi fans than the Brooklyn Nets had. So uh, with many waving the Israeli flags, so just think of, of, of that where you have so many people coming in that are from this community, from our community, um, and again, we'll have hopefully the, the atmosphere of the European basketball, the passionate fans, so, you know, some will be uh, supporting the Italians, the red team, and we are the yellow, so over in Israel, we always uh, battle the, the red, uh, whether it's a Poil Tel Aviv or a <laughs> Jerusalem, so here we're battling the red in, in Milano, so definitely for organizations, I would, I would you know, we're coming out with some great prices, you, you can get a group coming in for like $25 to get or $40 a ticket and sit really, you know, in good seats at the United Center for a pro game. Uh, so that's one opportunity for organizations. And, I, you know, if, if you really think about it, uh, especially for Jewish families, and I, I live in New York. I'm, I'm working for Maccabi uh, uh, in, from the New York area, and I have kids here. And any chance we have to go out to such a game or even a, a music, you know, performance concert, I want to do it. I want my kids to see the sure. Israeli flags and then be there with the with the national anthem with the tikva. Well, our so listeners from uh, the Jewish community and certainly uh, the pro-Israel community, it's a, it's a great opportunity, especially with what's going on in the world with uh, the Iran deal. Show some solidarity, show some support, and, but most importantly, come to a good game. So whether you want to come with your family or you want to bring some of your business colleagues, October 1st, the date, it's right around the corner, and you'll want to purchase those tickets and find out about sponsorship opportunities. Aaron, uh, how can our listeners find out more about the game and get a hold of you guys to, to learn more about how they can get involved? Yeah, so the, we did it the, the basic way. So Ticketmaster and just, you know, punch in Maccabi Tel Aviv or United Center upcoming event, and you'll find it there. 
Uh, use offer code HOLIDAY. So we have this promotion going on for the holidays. Again, you can basically sit at the 100 level with great seats for 50 bucks, even if you're not a group, just individuals going on Ticketmaster. Or they can, uh, you know, basically email me uh, or email the Maccabi Tel Aviv official uh, email address at info at Maccabi, that's M-A-C-C-A-B-I dot C-O dot I-L. Fantastic. Well, Yaron, thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, you're listening to Get Down to Business. Check out Ticketmaster.com. Back on Get Down to Business, the show that's all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Check out my website, ShalomKlein.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the show and find out who's going to be on next week. So join once again by a true professional, a true expert, Tom Fiegel of Tandem HR. Welcome back. Thank you, Shalom. Glad to be here. So uh, one thing that uh, people often talk about Google is the culture. I think every, I think more people know about the office environment of Google than probably any other company in the world. Right. So uh, what is a company's culture? That term is thrown around a lot. And how, how is culture defined? Yes, that that's a, a very interesting question, and it can be a difficult question to answer. Uh, many people have different uh, definitions of culture. And uh, if you look up a, a common textbook definition, it will say something like it's a set of beliefs and values and norms uh, shared by the organization. However, I like to define culture a little bit differently. So let's say you and I uh, start a business. Uh, we will uh, naturally start uh, developing habits uh, as far as how we work together. As far Tom, as- when we start the business, I want a really good coffee machine in the <laughs> office, please. <laughs> yes. Well, that's a very important part of culture. There we go. But uh, we'll also develop uh, habits as far as when we respond to each other, how available we are going to be uh, with each other to, to make mistakes, and the type of quality that's acceptable. So over time, these just become the way we do things. Uh, then when we become successful, we're going to start hiring people. And uh, these people are going to look at us and determine what's the acceptable behavior. So they are going to start modeling and they're st- going to start copying the behaviors and the standards that we have. So over time, this becomes the company's habits of, of way of doing things, or in other words, the company's culture. So uh, culture is set, it, it sounds like, sort of on its own without a lot of thought, but probably a lot of thought can be put into it, as we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, I know I mentioned uh, mm-hmm. coffee, and uh, right. I, I, I mean that. I'm not even kidding. I think a, a good <laughs> office culture needs to have really good coffee. So you hear about it uh, talked a lot on social media, in the news. I mentioned Google as an example. There are many other examples, a lot of companies that use their unique culture to attract and retain employees. Mm-hmm. Why is this so? Yes, uh, you hear about Zappos and Google, as you said, all the time in the media. Uh, and it's not necessarily uh, the perks that, that come with the job or uh, you know, the free lunches that they provide. Uh, but when it comes down to it, people want uh, to go to work to express themselves. And going to work provides a lot of meaning to them. It's not just a way to uh, collect a paycheck. So the, the companies that uh, do well long-term have cultures. Uh, they deliberately create cultures that allow people to express themselves and uh, allow people to... Uh, gain a lot of confidence from the work they do and uh, allow them to draw and uh, draw meaning from their work that they do. Uh, And that is what people want. So over time, that makes for uh, a a culture that allows uh, a a company like Google to retain all the high performers 
and uh, attract all the high performers. So we're talking with Tom Fiegel of Tandem HR. Tom, are you suggesting that if I set up a pool table for employees in the lunchroom and provide free lunches and parties every once in a while, or even more than every once in a while, isn't that enough to keep people happy? Well, some companies think that, uh, and uh, it's possible. There's a chance that that's all uh, employees will want, uh, but most of the time that won't do it on its own. And uh, it, companies uh, need to deliberately uh, create the environment that they want and set the standards and um, uh, set the example that they want uh, from their employees as far as uh, how they behave, how they work with each other, uh, and that's what employees really want. I think it's interesting to note that a lot of companies use uh, those sort of uh, tips for culture, like free mm-hmm. lunches and a pool table, to attract younger, you know, recent college grads. But realize that those recent college grads will get a few years older, right. and it's probably they're, they're, the same things won't uh, won't entice them to stay as much uh, mm-hmm. uh, later on in in life. That's true. So, so, what do successful cultures look like and and feel like really? Well, uh, you've, you've heard the. Uh, the phrase that employees don't quit companies, they, they quit their managers. Uh, and that's still true. That's still true in, in my findings out there. So uh, what good, successful companies do is develop a, a culture that has uh, effective management and effective leadership. And a couple of things that uh, successful cultures do is, number one, uh, they share uh, and communicate any type of change that's going to impact the person. Uh, they also uh, share information that people could use to be effective in their job. Uh, they provide opportunities for people to grow and they give them challenges. Uh, and they allow people to who do the work to decide how it's done. Interesting. So uh, if our listeners take one thing out of today's conversation, I really want them to appreciate what can leaders, what can people do tomorrow at the office? What can leaders do to shape and create the culture that they want to not following the the news stories about Google or Zappos or any of those other companies, Mm -hmm. the culture and their environment for their small business, for their company? Yes. uh, Great question. So one of the first things I would do is uh, understand your industry and understand your business. Uh, if your business is uh, making a product, then you're going to want to emphasize quality uh, and consistency uh, in your culture. If your uh, company is all about service uh, and troubleshooting and problem solving, you're going to want to emphasize uh, employees at the uh, at the front end and the front line to be able to make quick decisions on their own. So uh, first, evaluate your business. Secondly, observe. Uh, observe your how your people are interacting right now. Uh, do they get along together? Are they yelling? Are they screaming at each other? Do they talk to each other at all? Well, I can't believe it. We're out of time. We could talk about this forever, and I know you have a lot more advice and information to share. Tom Fiegel of Tandem HR, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, yes, at tfiegel at tandemhr.com. And check out that website, tandemhr.com. They've got a lot more information. That's why we call them the Solution Center. After the break, we're going to share more advice, tips, and information for all of you business owners. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business. You can find out about all of my events at ShalomKlein.com. And now it's time for your business tip of the week, which can be heard daily on the morning show at 7.30 a.m. right here on AM560, The Answer. Collaboration has become a pretty big buzzword in the modern business world. Every company hopes that cloud technology and content sharing platforms 
will enable their staff and their team to efficiently work together no matter where they are. But unless leaders are truly committed to creating a culture of collaboration, their employees will never reap the full benefits of those tools. Uh, Kevin Lynch, who's the CEO of a large cloud content collaboration service called Valero, once said that a collaborative culture should be something that employees feel rather than something that the executive team talks about. When this happens, it inspires a sense of community within an organization while driving productivity, insight, and innovation. And I agree. To truly make cloud collaboration technologies work for your business, you first need to show your team how to work well together. Uh, Mr. Lynch showed, uh, shared some six simple tips to encourage an open, cooperative workplace. Number one is set team goals. You'd use timelines, plans, and structured content that clearly define current and future goals for the team. This way, all team members can share a distinct point of view. Foster a creative environment. Allow team members to brainstorm in an open, non-judgmental framework that embraces the team's diversity. Build cohesion. Create a means of communicating that allows for easy workflow, establishes a distinct set of priorities, and makes all colleagues feel included. Keeping everyone on the same playbook enables team members to focus and flourish. And visualize ideas provide team members the opportunity to use visuals to clarify and share their ideas at the simplest level. You can do this without anything with anything from rough sketches to full-scale presentations and break down barriers. Using multiple channels of communication such as email, phone, text messaging can ultimately create barriers to successful collaboration. Agree upon and enlist just one channel that allows the team to communicate efficiently and effective. And most importantly, you need to execute. Always, always remember to execute. With all of the focus on idea creation, don't forget the most important step, acting on the good ones. Nothing will kill employees' desire to create new ideas faster than a failure to implement existing proposals. And now it's time for your networking tip of the week. Focus on the person in front of you. When attending networking events, you want to circulate through the room to meet a variety of people. However, when talking with one person, don't even glance over their shoulder scanning for your next target. It is so offensive and insulting when I see people do that at events that I'm having a conversation with somebody and they're interested in me for just 30 seconds and then they're already on to the next person. Focus on the person that you're talking to. When you register for an event and a shameless plug for some of the events that I'm doing, which you can find out about on my website at shalomkline.com, uh, when you're out at an event, talk to somebody. When you decide to focus on somebody and build a relationship, it should really be all about them. If you give a glance at another person, the person over my shoulder, I'm going to notice it. Even this quick glance is noticeable and it's rude. It shows disinterest. You may not plan to follow up with the person you're currently talking with, but they may follow up with something helpful for you. And you don't want to develop that reputation of being rude in any case. Every event Give yourself your all. Get into the mode of the event. If you see somebody that you want to talk to, focus on them. Have that conversation. And as I've always said on this program, tell your story. Tell people what you do, who you're looking to meet, and how you can help them. Make as much of the conversation about them. When you're looking over somebody's shoulder, it means you're important, but not all that important. I'm more important than you. I've got more priorities than you. That's not how you build quality business relationships. Get Down to Business is powered by Tandem HR, your solution center. 
I encourage you, give them a call at 630-928-0510, 630-928-0510. Get on their website, tandemhr.com. They have so many helpful tips, advice, and information for you. You can also email them, simplify at tandemhr.com. Get Down to Business is also brought to you in part by Everett Wealth Solutions, a registered investment advisor and financial planning firm, a fiduciary advisor that helps you create your personal wealth. You can find them at everettwealthsolutions.com or call 708-771-7777. That phone number again is 708-771-7777. Get on my website, shalomkline.com. You can find lots of events and even download podcasts from this show. You're listening to Get Down to Business. I'm your host, Shalom Klein. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next week. We'll be right back.